The reading is 2 Timothy 2 verses 14 to 19, dealing with false teachers. Keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarrelling about words is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection's already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, The Lord knows those who are his, and... Everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would open up the truth to us now and bless each one of us in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we continue our studies in the book of 2 Timothy, the letter of 2 Timothy. The context, Paul is in prison in Rome. He's on trial for his life. This is going to be his final letter. It is to Timothy, his very trusted and quite ubiquitous colleague, who has been with him for some time, but who is also seen as somewhat timid, self-effacing. Timothy, though, had been named as the co-sender of six of Paul's letters. That's not a bad pedigree, even if he was still a relatively inexperienced young Christian leader. In Paul's absence in Rome, Timothy now has a big job on his hands in Ephesus. This was the largest city in Asia Minor, with the most important church in the region. And Paul had left Timothy there, above all, I think, to counteract damaging quarrels which were going on and false teachings that were dangerous and were infecting the church as well as the city. How well did Timothy do? I don't think it's spoiling the story to actually give an answer to that. We do know from the situation 30 years later, as described in Revelation, that Timothy was at least partially successful probably more. In Revelation 2, 1-7, the letter to the first of the seven churches, this is written probably some 30 years later, this is what Jesus says. I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and have not grown weary. That's great. Unfortunately, as with most of the churches, six of the seven, there is a problem there still. And that is, Jesus says, that they've lost their first love and commitment towards him. That's obviously incredibly major. But the comments about 
safe teaching, being careful about potentially wicked people and influencers, that does seem to say that Timothy was quite successful in fulfilling his mission there. Now then, St. Paul was not one for tentative roadmaps. What he's giving here to Timothy are non-negotiable instructions. He is to sort out the two big problems in Ephesus. Firstly, pointless quarrels that were going on about internal church matters and points of doctrine. I'm sure that we've never ever any of us experienced that, or perhaps just a bit. As now, these influences were undermining people's faith, their relationships and their witness to the gospel. There is also a catastrophic ruining of the faith of those who see and hear this rubbish. Timothy is told, therefore, to remind the fellowship that they are to focus on the good news of Jesus. We too must stand firm in the truth of the gospel. The church must never become an argumentative debating society or a critical place where we gossip and all the rest of it. Paul tells Timothy and the Christians in Ephesus, therefore, to avoid godless chatter, literally to walk around it. They were to avoid empty babblings because careless talk spoils Christian lives. Secondly, the second problem, there was a major influence from false teachers, probably within the church as well as outside. Two are named Hymenius and Philetus who have wandered, swerved from the truths outlined by Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. These were the truths about our resurrection. And these Gnostic teachers were teaching that our resurrection had already happened. We were all above the law, above everything. We were liberated, could do what we liked, in effect. And of course, that was leading to the destruction of some believers' faith. Paul describes this dangerous teaching as spreading like gangrene. He is making it clear to Timothy that he must stand firm for the truth of the gospel, that there's some urgency to this, and it is a huge task. Earlier in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul had encouraged the young man with a couple of very helpful verses, and I'm going to repeat them now. It seems that Timothy needed this kind of support from his spiritual father. Paul. God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love and of self-discipline. Secondly, again in 2 Timothy 1, what you have heard from me, keep us the pattern of sound teaching, with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. We're now going to finish by looking at the two key verses today, which are the most positive ones, I suppose. We've identified the problems. Now, where is the solution going to lie? They are just as important to us in today's chaotic, confusing and rather sad world. I'm going to use the Amplified Bible to try and bring out the full meaning in the Greek in these two verses. Verse 15 in 2 Timothy 2. Study and be eager, and do your utmost to pre present yourself to God approved, 
a workman who has no cause to be ashamed. Correctly analysing and accurately dividing the truth. Rightly handling and skillfully teaching the word of truth. This verse is of great relevance to preachers and teachers, of course, also home group leaders and all of us. However, we are called to stand firm for the gospel in all situations and to be diligent workers. Notice that expression of um, a workman, an approved workman of God. What a great honour it is to try and be that, which is what we're called to be, all of us. We are to seek God's approval. We're not to seek popularity or applause elsewhere. So there's the first encouraging, really encouraging verse here, tailor-made for Timothy and also for us. Verse 19 is the second one. And again, from the Amplified Bible, so it's a bit longer than what we heard earlier. But the firm foundation laid by God stands, sure and unshaken, bearing this seal or inscription. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names himself by the name of the Lord give up all iniquity. Paul is reminding Timothy that he must stand on the most solid foundations of all. Firstly, God's promises, the saving work of his son Jesus, the truth of the gospel, and the church of Jesus Christ himself. The reference to a seal with two inscriptions reflects the fact that in Timothy's time, a seal signified secure protection and ownership. That's a lovely thought in today's world. If we have faith, we can know and we will know God's secure protection and ownership. These inscriptions emphasise first that the Lord knows those who belong to him. Now there's a wonderful thought. He really does know us. He knows us in every way. He knows all about us and he wants the best for us. Also, though, the second inscription, those who belong to him have to do their utmost to avoid their past sinfulness. So it's not just a cushy, cuddly number being Christians. It's a challenge to be up to the mark, to be God's faithful and trustworthy workmen, workers. Each one of us who belongs to God needs to stand on his solid foundation of truth. And we need to simply focus on pleasing him as his trusted workmen, workwomen, workchildren, perhaps best to say his workers. Finally then today, I'm going to tell you a story which I know a lot of people have picked up from the internet and have used. It does seem to fit this passage really nicely when we think of becoming God's trusted, approved workers. So here goes. Think of uh, Young Musician of the Year. That's the kind of scene that we have here. A talented young man once studied violin under a world-renowned master violinist. When his first big recital came, the crowd cheered after each number, but the young performer seemed dissatisfied. 
even after the final number, despite the rapturous applause, the musician appeared to be tense and unhappy. As he took his bows, he was watching an elderly man in the balcony. Finally, after a bit of time, the elderly man smiled and nodded in approval. Immediately, the young man beamed with joy. He was not looking for the approval of the crowd. He was waiting for the approval of his master. And so must we. Amen. These prayers are based loosely on a recent prayer guide that Tear Fund has sent out to do with the COVID-19 crisis. First of all, Lord, we would like to pray for our families. We thank you for them, Lord, and we pray for those that we love. And we ask that you would protect them from this current crisis, that you would be with them, keep them strong and close to you. And Lord, we remember those around the world who are all grieving for the loss of ones they love, who have, been, who have died in this crisis and who have died for any other reason at this time. We pray for them that you would comfort them in their loss. And we do pray for Tear Fund as they work with countries that are more vulnerable because of the lack of being able to be socially isolated. Amen. Lord, we thank you for our healthcare system. We thank you for the NHS. Thank you that we have such a good, robust healthcare system. And we pray for all those who are working in the NHS that you would protect them from this disease, keep them strong and help them as they start doing their normal day-to-day -day work as well as dealing with this crisis. And again, we pray for countries where the health system is not so robust. That you would be with the health workers there help those countries that are still to get to the peak of their infections, that they will be able to deal with the things that are going to be happening in their countries. Amen. Lord, we pray for our government and our society. We pray for our Prime Minister, Boris Johnson. I pray that you protect him at this time. He's had COVID-19, he's had a new baby, and he's trying to lead the country. Just give him the energy he needs for the things that he has to do at this time. Again, we pray for wisdom for the leadership and government in developing countries where they're trying to put together their plans as to how to deal with this crisis. And Lord, we also pray at this time for those places where there are masses of refugees who are in huge camps incredibly close together, that you would protect them at this time and that you would see justice done in these areas where it is needed. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Lord, too, we thank you for our church. We thank you for the fact that the church is not the building. The church is the people. And we are at this time still the church and we are doing many, many things. Thank you for Matt and our leadership team who are encouraging us at this time with our daily updates to look at your word and to draw close to you. Thank you for the practical efforts that are going on as well to help people in this country, in this area, all over the UK at this time when things are so desperately difficult for many. And Lord, I pray that you'd help each one of us 
to be aware of the needs of those around us and help us to be your feet and hands in the neighbourhoods where we live. Amen. <laughs>